If ever there was a category called the theologian's favorite mystery novelist, a serious contender would be Dorothy Sayers for her Lord Peter Whimsey series. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today I review the Lord Peter Whimsey series by Dorothy Sayers, all 11 books reviewed in one episode. The first book, Whose Body, was published in 1923. That's 100 years ago. The widespread acclaim led to more and more books, and Dorothy Sayers ditched her advertising day job to be a full-time writer. The Lord Peter Whimsey series concludes in 1937 with Busman's Honeymoon, and I read all 11 books for today's review. Dorothy Sayers is a name that comes up often enough in the books I read. She seems to be a favorite for many theologians and Christian writers. But I didn't, didn't know anything about her, or felt in any way compelled to read her books until I listened to an Undeceptions episode. So that's a podcast by John Dixon, and, she, and he was interviewing Dr. Amy Orr Ewing, who studied Sayers for her PhD at Oxford University. To my utter disbelief, in her day, Dorothy Sayers was as famous, actually, more famous than Agatha Christie. Now, Christie is my favourite detective writer, so it shocked me to know that there was someone better than her. Perhaps the reason for Christie's longevity is because she continued churning out detective novels while Sayers moved on to other things. Sayers put her writing talents to the drama of Christianity. She had the cheek in her time to put everyday English into the mouths of Jesus and the disciples. Many Christians protested, preferring their saviour to speak in King James English. In an essay titled The Greatest Drama Ever Staged, Sayers responded, It's as if Christ wasn't born into history. He was born into the Bible a place where nobody makes love or gets drunk or cracks jokes or talks slang or cheats or despises his neighbours. No wonder the story makes so little impression on the common man. Sayers wrote theological books, including The Mind of the Maker, which explores the nature of God and creativity. And there's another book titled Are Women Human? which addresses the role of women in society. Sayers, by the way, was one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University. Recognizing the impact of her radio plays and books, the Archbishop of Canterbury wanted to award Sayers the prestigious Lambeth Doctorate of Divinity. She turned it down. Now, Dr. Amy, in that Undeceptions episode, suggested it's maybe somewhat because the Sayers, the famous crime writer and public theologian, felt unworthy of the honour because she hid a secret sin. You see, Dorothy Sayers fell in love with a non-Christian who did not believe in marriage. Because of her faith, Sayers would not sleep with the man before marriage. Eventually, they separated because the man told her that he would not get married on principle. However, a few months later, that same man got married with another woman. 
Now, Dorothy Sayers was devastated because she really, really loved him. And later in her life, she got involved with another man, slept with him, got pregnant, and had a child. A child who was then brought up by her cousin. Now, for more on Sayers, her life and work, please go to the Undeceptions episode. And one day, I hope to review the books of Dorothy Sayers, the theologian. But for today, I will review the books of Dorothy Sayers, the crime writer. So let us now turn to the Lord Peter Wimsey mystery novel series. Having finished the series, I will say that the Lord Peter Wimsey series is to mystery novels as the Lord of the Rings is to fantasy novels. Surely not. Nobody knows Lord Peter Wimsey, so how can it be at the level of Lord of the Rings? Now, what I meant by that is that you can see Tolkien's Christian faith bleed into Middle-earth, making the epic story seem so real. In the same way, Sayer's faith bleeds into 20th century England and makes the people more real than the paper-thin characters that you read in books or watch on TV. Consider uh, Agatha Christie's books, which are also set in post-World War I England. People go to church, they fundraise to repair the church roof, there is even a murder in the vicarage. But Christianity here is nominal. We are more likely to read the inner thoughts of a murderer, but we never read the inner thoughts of a believer. Whereas in Sayer's world, Christianity is overt. It's almost in your face. In chapter 3 of the first novel, Lord Peter Wimsey and Detective Parker, Charles Parker, are tracking a criminal through a little wood. Lord Peter says while he was tumbling through the woods, I quote, I say, I don't think the human frame is very thoughtfully constructed for this sleuth hound business. If one could go on all fours or had eyes in one's knees, it would be a lot more practical. Parker replies, There are many difficulties inherent in a teleological view of creation. End quote. When I read this, I was laughing out loud with delight. Um, that is a line written by a theologian for readers who enjoy theology and mystery teleological view of creation indeed. And by the way, it, this basically means that if, if God intended man to fly, God would have given him wings. And uh, of course, that, that idea of creation is, has its difficulty because we can indeed fly. We just use different means. So anyway, explaining the joke makes it less funny. Um, so, but reading these tough lines where you have uh, you have that um, a, a theologian sense um, makes it very fun for me because again I don't get much of this from uh, normal uh, popular fiction. So I think that is why J.I. Packer uh, and other uh, theologians or Christian writers uh, uh, list Sayers among their favorites. Now, again, let me just uh, say a bit more. Um, how does Detective Parker relax after a long day of chasing murderers? I quote. Parker was sitting in an elderly but affectionate armchair with his feet on the mantelpiece, relaxing his mind with a modern commentary on the epistle to the Galatians. He received Lord Peter with quiet pleasure, 
though without rapturous enthusiasm, and mixed him a whiskey and soda. Peter took up the book his friend had laid down and glanced over the pages. All these men work with a bias in their minds, one way or other, he said. They find what they are looking for. Now listen to Parker's response. Oh, they do, but one learns to discount that almost automatically, you know. When I was at college, I was all on the other side. Connie Bear, Robertson, Andrews, and those people, you know, till I found they were all so busy looking for a burglar whose nobody had ever seen that they couldn't recognize the footprints of the household, so to speak. Then I spent two years learning to be cautious. Lord Peter then concludes... Theology must be a good exercise for the brain. Reading Sayers is a good tickle for the theologian's brain. Now that conversation that you just heard essentially is about eisegesis, about the dangers of reading into the text what you want it to say. And Parker's response is a detective's rebuke to a theologian's fault. So again, I enjoy it. But having said that, having said that, it does not mean that the whole book is of this nature. I'm just picking up something unique that I don't get anywhere else. You still have the plot, you still have the murder, you still have the chasing down of the of the murderer, and they go through um, what you would expect from a from a detective book. And just picking up things that I thought was uh, Again, this is after Christian uh, book review, so I just thought that uh, this, these are things that might appeal to, to some of us. Let's look at the, another character. Miss um, Clemson is a spinster who helps Lord Peter dig things up. Okay? In the course of digging things up, in one of the stories, she strikes a conversation with a young lady about friendship. The young lady says, I quote, A great friendship does make demands. It's got to be just everything to one. It's wonderful the way it seems to colour all one's thoughts. Instead of being centred in oneself, one's centred in the other person. That's what Christian love means. One's ready to die for the other person. Miss Clemson replies, Well, I don't know. I once heard a sermon about that from a most splendid priest, and he said that, that kind of love might become idolatry if one wasn't very careful. He said that Milton's remark about Eve, you know, he for God only, she for God in him, was not congruous with Catholic doctrine. One must get the proportions right, and it was out of proportion to see everything through the eyes of another fellow creature. End quote. Again, some things um, that make food for thought a conversation in a murder mystery between a spinster digging up information from a possible witness. So again, a bit out of the ordinary. Another great strong character, okay, I look forward to introducing her, is Harriet Vane. Harriet Vane. She appears in the novel Strong Poison. She first appears there. The character is, imagine this, the character is a writer of detective novels. And she was, she was put on trial. Okay, so there's a bit of a meta uh, narrative, I find. Like you're reading a story from a detective novel who is writing a story about a detective novel. So that makes it very um, surreal in some parts. But you haven't heard the rest. <laughs> it, gets, it gets more interesting. So anyway, in the story, in the story, we have Harriet Vane on trial for poisoning Philip Boyles. 
Now, Philip is a man in the story who does not believe in marriage. Harriet, in the story, agrees to live with him without marrying. Philip later changes his mind and decides to marry Harriet after all. At this, Harriet gets angry and breaks off the relationship. Was she angry enough to kill him, to poison him? So I got a chill when I saw this uh, Harriet Vane about her life because I know the secret life of Dorothy Sayers. And thus the whole novel suddenly became a meta-mystery. As there is the mystery in the book, there is another mystery about the book, <laughs> which is, am I reading fiction or am I reading autobiography? <laughs> so it was... Um, Again, for me, this is a very unique thing. I don't, I don't pretend that when I read uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes to know a bit more about Arthur C. Conan Doyle, uh, when I read uh, Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple, I don't, I don't think, ever think that I'm reading a bit of uh, uh, Agatha Christie. Maybe there, there is something behind the stories, but I just don't know. But here it is interesting because, and I'll tell you more later on, but there is quite a big part of uh, Dorothy Sayers in her books. And these are, I mean, the, the names I mentioned, Parker, Miss Clemson, Harriet, they are side characters, and there are many more. I would love to talk about Bunter, the faithful servant. And I also like to, if I had more time, we could talk about the Whimsy family, his mother, his brother Gerald, the sister Mary, and they're all important in the series. And it's a lovely look at um, the family in that time. But I must now turn to Lord Peter Whimsy, the, the man himself. British detectives are like superheroes, so much so that Sherlock Holmes was acted out by both Iron Man, uh, Robert Downey Jr., and Doctor Strange, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. And uh, if, you, if you just look at Sherlock Holmes, uh, armed with his smoking pipe and far superior intelligence, uh, Sherlock eventually catches his man and then says, Elementary, my dear Watson. Now, in contrast... Uh, Lord Peter Whimsy has his monocle, a monocle that often gets ridiculed by the people that he meets. But if you take away his noble birth, his immense wealth, and his um, commendable service in the war, he would be a fairly ordinary man. There is, there is no such sense of a so superior, a godlike, I mean, I exaggerate, but a godlike, beyond mere mortal sort of intelligence that Sherlock Holmes tends to convey. I mean, in one case, um, it was not even Peter Whimsy who solved it. It's somehow, the whole thing just ring the bell and, and the case was solved. So, he is less of a superhero, but that does not make him boring. If I could make a... Um, comparison, a uh, uh, helpful uh, comparison, Lord Peter Whimsy reminds me of another famously rash and unpredictable Peter. No, I don't mean the Apostle Peter. I mean Peter Quill from Guardians of the Galaxy. And yes, it might be a bad idea to have watched that movie and do this review because I am in danger of reviewing both and neither. I just watched uh, the, the third volume. So if you, if you watch the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, uh, and, and don't worry if you don't, um, there is this, the first movie, you, you see Peter Quill 
And, and the story goes that despite every attempt, okay, heroic attempts to stop Ronan, the accuser, from landing on the planet, everything seems to be lost. Okay? The heroes are beaten, they're on the ground, and Ronan is uh, really giving, enjoying his uh, victory speech. And then Peter does the coolest thing ever. And if you have never watched the movie, you should go watch it so that your jaw will just drop. <laughs> and so there is that unpredictability, even within the ordinariness of, if you know Peter Quill, he has no superpowers. He's not uh, like uh, the raccoon, a rocket raccoon or Gamora or all these other, other, other characters. He is a very ordinary guy in a superhero group. So, in a sense, um, Lord Peter Wimsey is also a very ordinary guy, but he is unpredictable. He is, he is able to outsmart the people around him. He has some skills, uh, but he is, to me, he seems very ordinary. And in that ordinariness, deep inside him, uh, beneath that uh, devil-may-care cockiness, arrogance of the aristocrat, there is vulnerability. There is that naivety that endears him to the reader. You will like him. I mean, I, I would even say this. If I, could choose one, if I could choose one fictional detective to be a friend, if I could choose to have Sherlock Holmes or Hercule Poirot or any other detective in TV and, and Bruce Wayne, if you, if, you, if you like, I would choose as my friend, Lord Peter Wimsey. He would make a great friend. He is funny, witty, unpredictable, loyal, and such a sensitive soul. So I really enjoy my journey uh, reading through the 11 books because I, fear, I felt like I got to know a friend um, because I saw him grow. And that's one of the nice things about this uh, series. There are books like the Agatha Christie books and even the Sherlock Holmes books, the two uh, ones that I'm more familiar with, where there is some growth. You do see recurring characters, but then there is no sense that there is an arc, a character arc. But with the Peter Wimsey books, if you're going to read it, I would suggest that you should read it from the beginning and read it in order so that you can get the character arc. Otherwise, you will miss out on the, on the events, the occasions, the great occasions of their lives. The, the, the changes that happens, you know, when we grow up, as we continue down this journey, the in-jokes and the callbacks to previous books. So just to take one example, all right, of the, of the, of the people that, that uh, you, may, you may miss out on if you read it um, uh, randomly. If you read it from the beginning, you will get to have a good sense of the whimsy family and how they, they relate to each other then and how they resolve some of the conflicts such that when you read them later on in the series in other books you know of them and you know how how interesting the the the, the conversation can be uh, for one okay let me just put to you gerald is the duke and uh, he has a very low uh, slow sense of uh, what peter does he he doesn't approve of an aristocrat going around mucking about with a murder. So there's a bit of that uh, class um, tension over there, uh, what it means to be an aristocrat. So 
there's resentment, there's expectation, family expectation, honor, and so it makes for an interesting mix. Now you contrast that, you contrast that with Sherlock Holmes. We know he has a brother, Mycroft, but really, other than that freakish Holmes genes that creates this immortal geniuses, the brothers could just as well just be friends, colleagues, or even total strangers. The way they interact with each other is so boring in 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 comparison. So, and that's the thing about the whole series. I mean, it's not just about the Peter Whimsy and Gerald Whimsy, about the Whimsy family. It's about everybody. All of them become more interesting as you read through. Parker, Clemson, Harriet, Bunter, and all the rest. So Lord Peter Whimsy just holds them together. They interact with him, and it's just a fun read. It makes it a compelling read because you just want to know what's going to happen to them in the next book. Now, having said that, there is one thing that could keep people away from the series or even just uh, shut people off, all right? Just put people off when you, uh, when you read them. Now, the language is a bit harder. It is um, uh, British in the 20th century, so 1920s. So it may be something that people are not used to. I mean, if you think about it, it's written 100 years ago. Uh, but that one is still doable, okay? The barrier is surpassable. A tougher one is that she brings us into worlds that you may not really want to go to. You, you know how kids complain about getting dragged by their parents to some place that they insist is fun, but it's not in, like, if they tell you going to a museum, oh, the museum is so great, so wonderful, and then you go to the museum and you're bored senseless. <laughs> Now, in other detective books, the, the setting, the world is incidental. I mean, you, I mean, you go to a, Sherlock Holmes goes to a manor house somewhere and it's a bit gloomy and that's about it. You don't really care much about it. Just, it just sets the mood. Um, but when Dorothy Sayers does it, she is actually building a world and the world is very real to her. So when Dorothy Sayers puts the story, she places, sets the story in Oxford University, we get a sense of the buildings, the rivers, the dawns, the students, the ceremony. The world is so very real and comes with all these details. In another book, the story is in an advertising agency. Again, we are immersed, whether you like it or not, into the nuts and bolts of advertising in 1920s England. Oh, by the way, did I mention that Sayers studied at Oxford University and she worked at an advertising agency. So she's writing what she knows. This is actually her life. And so sometimes she gives us all these details, in, in my opinion, that gets in the way of the plot. Um, it makes the play, the world more real. I can understand that. But it's, and I'm not the type of guy who enjoys world building so much so. Um, because sometimes she makes a reference. She, she quotes something. She... And I just don't understand because the world is just so far away from me that I just don't know what she's talking about Some in some cases. But having said that, um, even though there were moments that I would have normally given up, but because again of the characters, and I love and respect these characters, and I just want to see it through because of them. I want to see it through and see how they respond, how they triumph, and eventually how the whole series ends. So that's how strong the characters are to me. 
Now, let me conclude this review by pitting Dorothy Sayers against her contemporary and, by today's standards, more successful writer, Agatha Christie. I have read all of the Agatha Christie books, the Miss Marple, Hercule and various others. Now, Agatha Christie wrote 66 detective novels, six times more than Sayers did for the Lord Peter Whimsey series. Now, here is the difference from a literature point of view, a literary critic point of view. Christie's books are plot-driven, whereas Sayers' books are character-driven. From a reader point of view, Christie generally has a gimmick. So her books are like, you have the ABC murders where the people are dying in the alphabetical order. You have the labors of Hercules. So the, the detective looks for cases that kind of corresponds to the classic Greek story of Hercules. You have the murder in the Orient Express, which is uh, very gimmicky as well, but I will not spoil it for you. So Sayers has... Uh, so that, that, that is uh, Christie, Agatha Christie's. Um, she's, she has great ideas, great gimmicks, and keeps you on your toes for the entire book. What Sayers offers is not gimmicks, but characters. She has Whimsy, Bunter, Harriet, Clemson, and Parker. And in Christie, it's what will happen next. In Sayers, okay, in Dorothy Sayers, it's what will he do? What is she thinking? How does he feel? So in Christie, the world ends when the case is solved. In Sayers, the world seems to carry on. So that's why, in a way, I find that if you enjoy uh, Arthur C. Conan Doyle, if you enjoy Agatha Christie, I would say that uh, the next book you, can, you should read is Dorothy Sayers because it's a more <laughs> grown-up book. <laughs> because uh, it's not... The, the focus is less on the gimmicks and more on character development. But anyway, to each his own. Of the 11 books, I like the early books. They, they successfully uh, hooked me in. And, uh, and I enjoyed uh, getting to know uh, this uh, Lord Peter Whimsy. The books in the middle can be a bit hard going. I think Sayers became more confident in her writing skills and her and the ability to sell her books. So I think she expects the reader to be able to go the distance with her in her world building, the details and, and all that. I just want to say that the series ends well. This is important to me because nothing annoys me so much as having invested so much time. And then when you reach the final book and you're like, blah, this is such a lousy way to end uh, a series. So the series ends well. I, I really enjoy and there is a real sense of satisfaction. Okay, I don't want to spoil it, so I just say that there's a great sense of satisfaction, closure, such that you wish the characters well at the end of it and, and hopefully um, the story can go on. That, that's a sense of it, that they, they continue living beyond the pages of, of the book. Um, Sayers treats her characters with a lot of respect. And maybe that is because there, there's too much of her in them. Uh, she has uh, her secret sin, her life in Oxford University, her, the work in the advertising agency. But for Christians, I would say that the unique experience here is that we get Dorothy Sayers, the nascent 
theologian. Okay, this is the budding theologian, and uh, she is putting her faith into this world that she has made, and the characters are thinking about. Because if I if like we like I said, if the the obvious things like the university, the advertising agency, and and uh, uh, living together with an unmarried man, if these are the obvious things, the overt parts, it also means that a lot of the of the themes, the 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 questions, the what is friendship? Like I said just now, um, these are also being conveyed through the books, and I think those are the parts that make the book so much more interesting, as the characters just go back and forth in their in their lives, in their dialogues, as they pursue the murderer um, to the end. So there is a sense of pursuing truth, just as they pursue the murderer. So I thought that was very interesting about this series, um, different from many of the books that I read. Uh, it's a world that comes alive through the characters, and it's so sincere how the story is told. This is a Reading and Readers review of the Lord Peter Wimsey series by Dorothy Sayers. I bought the three-volume box set in Amazon Kindle for $100, and you might want to do the same. As we just heard uh, from this episode, um, detectives, Detective Parker's hobby is to read a Bible commentary. And what do you know? For August this year, Logos is offering a free commentary on the letters of John. Now, this NIV application commentary is written by Gary M. Birch. And the series, I mean, I've read the series um, and we have the whole entire series in the church library. So it's a great series, the NIV application commentary. And it's uh, always accessible. It's just a fantastic vol uh, series um, that is very fitting for the busy detective seeking to wind down after a hard, day, hard day's work uh, chasing murderers. And so I would say it's also a great series uh, for you, uh, dear listener. So the, this uh, book is free. So I do hope that you will get it while it's still August. And hopefully I can find the time to actually read it and review it. But otherwise, I think that you will not um, be disappointed with this, uh, with this uh, commentary. Alright, so that's the commentary on the letters of John from the NIV application commentary written by Gary M. Birch. So that's free. Get it. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.